The following program is an abridged audio version of the streaming video talk show, A Wonderful Chaos. The hosts are Andy Chaliff and Bambos Dimitriou. The format is entirely casual, unscripted conversation. If you'd like to watch a live taping or participate with your comments in real time, subscribe to A Wonderful Chaos on YouTube, Facebook, Periscope, or Twitch. And then there's implicit knowings, which are just the schemas that help us organize our sense of reality. The world is safe. Men are dangerous. My instincts are wrong, right? I, I'm defective. These are organizing principles. They're so fish and water to us that we don't often even know what our organizing principles are. Yeah. And, and in coherence therapy, oftentimes people will say, oh, well, that is how I... But I didn't really ever know that's how I organized the world. Yeah. But that is what feels true to me. So they're not usually discovering something brand new. They're getting in touch with something that they've always known, but now they know they've been knowing it. It's a wonderful chaos. Solo or tandem. We work to find rest and fight to find peace. Both head and the heart. Niall Gagan we've got on today, 17 years he's been in psychotherapy. I went to one website, I printed out his bio, and I could only get through half of it because I had so many terms in it that I would have to go to a, a dictionary to find them all. And then I went to this next website, which is even more complicated. So in the end, all I know is the reason why we got Niall on and why I am very excited is because he is doing the word is, I'm going to say correctly, coherence therapy, which is very much aligned with the and it's fucking great practice. And I wanted to discuss that with him. Josh Winton said to me, <laughs> Andy. I saw this guy that basically has uh, given words to the hashtag and it's fucking great practice. I then went to his website and then I saw he gave, uh, what would you say? Scientific. The scientific terms that would be used for what's going on in the brain when I'm working with people. And I never felt like I ever had to justify it. In fact, I don't even like talking about it all that much because it's so far removed from the experience. Then I see that his work is all about creating experience practices, which, as you know, if it, if, if it isn't an individual's experience and you're trying to convince them of something, then in the end, they're going to resist it because it has to come from them. So And so I, he's created a lot of tools and practices which basically assist people to have experiences that inform them and allow them to grow at the steps incrementally that suit them, which as far as I was concerned, that's what I'm all about. So I'm like, hey, he's taking it a bit further because I see he's trying to standardize those tools. So we'll bring on like a somatic practitioner like we had Joanne Lavazio on some some years ago. You can watch that and we'll bring on practitioners. But he's basically trying to create an umbrella for all these practitioners that are creating experiential things. And and I've told you as we work together, my limit when working with you is often that I'll engage you on a rational a lot. But a lot of the times I've found that, you know, when I'm dealing with your pain, I see or experience it as almost ingrained in your body, like a cellular experience. Mm -hmm. And that's, that requires a whole nother level of skills that I'm, I'm very comfortable saying, hey, that's above my pay grade. So in that sense, it's also, I think, important for one to know where can they serve another individual in their development and where is there another individual that might be able to help them at that point. Yeah. So that that's kind of, and, and, and just to make sure we plug it, Niles has got uh, the website experientialpsychotherapies.com. We'll write it in the comments, experientialpsychotherapies.com. And, um, and what I liked about how he's engaging, he's basically created his online content and he's done very much the uh, clinical. So you understand what it is you're doing. And then he shows the practical by showing interactions with people and how he deals with those and, and so on. And so that's, it, I always want to, someone can teach me something or they can talk about it. I'd rather, I'd rather um, see them doing it as they're doing it. And that's uh, and that's far more interesting for me. So let's bring Niles on. 
here you here we go. Hello, Niles. Hey guys. Is there anything I said that was factually incorrect? That all sounded great. Uh, the only thing I would correct is that I, I actually haven't personally created uh, any new techniques or any new form of therapy myself. Uh, I was trained in a, a, a particular form of therapy called coherence therapy. Um, my mentor was the one who came up with that, so I didn't invent it. And yeah. then I started learning a whole lot of similar types of therapies that are, are related. So I don't claim to have been the originator of anything, um, but okay. I am. I, f- I feel like partly what my skill is 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 bringing together and integrating a whole lot of really interesting, very similar but not exactly the same ideas. Nice. Um, <laughs> I, I had the impression from looking at how you took coherence therapy mm-hmm. that actually the people who who created it weren't able, as well as I see you having had done it, of bringing it to the market, making it more uh, accessible. Would that be fair to say? Interesting. Well, no, I wouldn't necessarily say that. So my mentor's name is Bruce Ecker, and he's written two phenomenal books, one of of which is Unlocking the Emotional Brain, which you sort of picked up as the title for this podcast. So he's certainly done an amazing job of getting the word out there and getting the ideas out there. It just happened, uh, I think maybe partly what you saw was a, a video series that I did, which is an introduction to coherence therapy, Yeah, um, which I put on YouTube years ago. I actually never meant to be bringing it to the masses. I was leading a workshop in Australia, and I just wanted the 35 people at the workshop to have the basics oh, so I could right? go into more, inter- in more intermediate level stuff. We created this video, and then once we put it up there, it just took on a life of its own. How so, funny. you know, sometimes things happen. Yeah, in funny ways, but it really yeah. made me realize how powerful the how powerful videos and YouTube are as a medium for communicating some of yeah. these really important ideas. Now, is your mentor still alive? Oh yeah, yeah. Bruce is still alive. He's going strong. He's still in mm-hmm. practice. He's in New York City now, and um, still working on all all kinds of facets of both uh, coherence therapy and this oh, this more this broader neuropsych concept of memory reconsolidation yeah yeah it's funny my mentor also wrote two books yes <laughs> and i'm using his work like a <laughs> yeah and are you and are you pretty sure he's still alive yeah it's touch wood <laughs> got a pinch. um so I had a problem when I told you going through a lot of you. I, I saw the video that you did when you were in Australia, which I loved when you actually had the interaction. Um, it felt like it could be more powerful, actually. So although it was an example of it, I kind of was sitting there thinking, oh, it still feels like there is a power in it that since a camera and you were set it up kind of formally, it didn't it lacked a little bit sure. of the punch. Sure. But sure. The, you're talking thing- about the demonstration session that we did in Australia. Yes. Yeah. 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 And But the thing that I. I kind of love, and I think there are a lot of tools that try to do it. Byron Katie does this mm-hmm. reframing with her four questions. This mentor that I worked with, Peter Koenig, who does what's called the money work. He does something called projection reclamation. Mm-hmm. And, and he would always say, hey, Andy, it's, we're, we're touching you on an, at a part of your brain that makes no sense. But say mm-hmm. something and you'll experience. He always says, tell yourself a lie so you can feel a deeper truth. Uh-huh. And, and and uh, and and that when it, when you said that to me, I, like because people like say I can't say that I'm comfortable with something that I'm not comfortable with, but right. by allowing that to come in, I found that actually people laugh at some point and say, "Wow, is how do why do I feel this way?" Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. And there's always a two percent that can't. Touch of, course, that, of course, there's more than two percent, right? They get frustrated, of course, because the tool isn't working for them. Well, so what you're what you're describing sounds a lot to me like the coherence therapy uh, exercise that we call symptom deprivation. Yes. Which you know people will come in and they'll say, "I've got this symptom." Oh, you got it written down on there. I've got okay, like you see the, see how you see I made it I made it triple triple uh, font. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Great, great. So yeah, so you see the overlap, right? People come in, they say, "I've got this symptom," right? I'm can't get motivated and get out of bed in the morning, and for example, that might be a symptom. And in the symptom deprivation, what we do is we we want to deprive them of the symptom and see what comes up. And they they would think that if you take away the symptom, everything would be great, right? That's why they're coming to therapy. But mm-hmm. what they find is when you said the thing about tell yourself a lie and you'll bump into what's true or you'll find something that's true, mm-hmm. what they'll find is that they 
so I'll have them visualize it. I'll have them close their eyes, take some breaths, picture themselves getting out of bed, popping out of bed, going through their morning routine, delving into work, right? You'd think they'd feel excited about it, but what they'll realize is there's something uncomfortable that arises. And that's the truth that they bump into that they maybe haven't been fully letting themselves attend to. There's some anxiety, some fear, some something negative or uncomfortable or unwelcome yeah. that comes up that starts to make sense of why they haven't been just popping out of bed in the morning, right? They've been telling themselves, I've just got to set my snooze and I got to make notes to myself and I got to whatever, yeah, they, right? Have my partner. They're, they're managing the symptom and not necessarily saying, what is it that's causing me to have the symptom to begin exactly, with? Exactly. Right. Yeah. Wow. Right. Yeah. So, so Niall, what, mm -hmm. what brought you into this work? Like, uh, like me and Andy ourselves, we had to overcome something pretty. Yeah. We both had really abusive uh -huh. fathers. So uh -huh. basically our, our, our journey was, you know, I was more mental and Bambos was more physical or uh -huh. both. Probably. I, I had both. Mm -hmm. He had both. So mm -hmm. in the, some ways, when we go through the show, there's a, a like allowing ourselves to be like our fathers, right? Because in some mm -hmm. ways, that's always the trap is you blame and then you then you become the thing you never want to be. So, uh -huh. Uh -huh. so we're often laughing about how this is a, an example of how I'm kind of being like my dad would have been, for instance. <laughs> that's, uh -huh. that's why he called his book The Wounded. The Wounded. <laughs> right. Bambos is so great at plugging this. I love <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, sorry. but I, no, I, I can tell you, actually, I, somebody within the last, six weeks told me they were reading the wounded healer and loving the wounded healer and totally I mean, moved by it. I'm, I'm, sh I'm, I'd love to think that it was my wounded healer, but there's about 50 wounded healers out there. So oh, 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 <laughs> it wow, could have been mine. It could have been Henry. Uh, but yeah. let's get away from Andy's yes, book. Yes. Let's do that. Yeah. So what was the thing you had to overcome? If anything? Yeah. Like, I don't want to assume that that would be the case by the way. I'll tell you what, I'm, I, I'm, I'm somewhat of an unusual um, example because there are many therapists get into therapy because they had some significant wounding um, mm. or, or trauma uh, of different types, different levels. I didn't really have that in my history. If anything, actually, I come from a, a, a family that would never think about psychology or therapy as yeah. uh, like nobody in my therapy would, some family would go to a therapist, right. Or, yeah. or think that they'd, they'd want to do that or, um, and, uh, so I, it was not anything that I ever had on my mind. I wasn't like I had a great experience with a therapist when I was 18 and they changed my life and I wanted to, yeah. I didn't have that experience. If anything, I was shocked at about 27 when I came on this, I, it was an epiphany one day. I, I want to get into psychology. But it wasn't for me, funny enough, it wasn't about helping people. I actually remember even thinking in that moment, oh, we can't actually help people, but I can learn what makes people tick. I can learn what I, I just wanted to, you would have thought I would have just gotten into research psychology. Yeah. But I maybe just didn't know enough to think about that. I, so I, I got into a therapy-oriented program. And it was only once I started discovering some things like coherence therapy and some of these experiential techniques that brought about significant change for people and powerful shifts that mm. I started getting, realizing, oh, you can help people. Like, yeah, yeah. and I love it and it's fun. And, and that's really, I, it's really important to me to know what people, yeah. what makes people tick, but the helping became but, fascinating but, for me too. But, but why is knowing what makes people tick important for you? You know, I've always wondered that. So, okay, I can have two answers. One is even going way back, I remember watching, um, I wasn't allowed to watch a whole lot of TV as a kid. My parents just didn't like it. But I'd watch Saturday morning cartoons for an hour and I'd watch ads. And I remember being a kid and thinking, ooh, it would be cool to be in advertising, to influence people to do things. How do you, and I'd watch, even as a kid, I'd watch the ad and I'd be like, ah, I don't think they're gonna that ad's gonna be effective at changing what kids do uh -huh. and oh i think that act that ad could be effective and uh -huh. i remember having that thought and it was more about wanting to have some power or control over people i had some kind of a fantasy yeah. of and then as years went on and i became more political i thought oh maybe i'll become more of like a political you know influencer of some yeah. sort to uh, get people to vote for the candidate i want to vote for that kind of thing um but then there's the deeper question of why is it important for me to, why would I want to have control over people or influence people? And my family does. So I, I have a very split um, 
historical background. My father is uh, is Irish. He grew up in Ireland. That's why my name is Niall Gagan. Mm-hmm. Irish Catholic family. Uh, my mother's side of the family were um, Jews in Austria who had converted to Catholicism to try to not be Jews for several generations back, but still got persecuted mm-hmm. uh, by the Nazis. So, so my family spent you know years in hiding in France during the war. My mom was born during that time, and mm-hmm. you know, so she herself is actually a Holocaust survivor. And so, I've always had a sort of a sense of not totally trusting the masses of people and mm-hmm. and um wanted to keeping my eye on social dynamics and um not wanting to just be thinking about my own little life and be missing the larger forces at work it's just a it's just deep in my bones to constantly mm-hmm. and and that that adds a whole nother level of wanting to sort of understand what makes people tick and make sure that i'm the influencer and not the brainwashy yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, I, I want to say it's pretty deep what you just shared. Mm-hmm. Like if yeah. it feels like to some degree, whatever happened with your mother in, on her journey that did impact you and you took that so serious to some degree, consciously oh, or unconsciously, right? To a significant degree. I mean, as in high school, I spent a lot of time talking to my grandmother. She, in her later years moved next door to us and I'd go over and talk to her a lot about the experience. And mm. it was, it was on my mind for sure during a lot, many of those formative years. Mm. Uh, I wouldn't, I wasn't obsessed with it, but it was fascinating to me and mm. <clears throat> made, made me certainly made me see the world through a certain light or a certain, mm. certain lens, let's say. Yeah. Thanks. Mm-hmm. What made that you were so clear about, people need to have the experience for themselves? So I went to a graduate school uh, that was more psychodynamic in nature, which means it's uh, psychodynamic therapies are, are a variety of offshoots of Sigmund Freud's original psychoanalysis. Okay. People have taken it in many interesting ways over, yeah. you know, a hundred and whatever years, but it's all uh, non-experiential. It's all uh, very interpretive. So a lot of, you know, the client's talking and the therapist is thinking, the therapist is making meanings in his or her own mind and then saying, I think this is what's going on or have you considered that maybe this is what's happening? Maybe you're projecting this or maybe you're imagining that. Uh, and, by the way, just to answer that yeah. question, since you studied that, what does it mean if I always have a dream that I'm going out of the house and I forgot to put my pants on? What does that dream put mean? my pants on. <laughs> just because just so, you studied it. So what would that tell me? You know, I remember a friend of mine back then had, had a big book that she had bought at Costco that, that had all the answers to all those things. <laughs> Did like, it really? means this. Oh, yeah. She was deep oh. into that book. And I remember oh, at the time funny. I was like, you can't put it all in a book. <laughs> 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 I'm going to give you that book for your birthday. Yeah, please yeah, do. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, Sorry. But, Maybe so, they still have them. So you basically went through, <laughs> I mean, I could imagine, I would have gone crazy there because mm-hmm. in a weird way, uh, there it, it also goes in some funny way is that if I am making sense of your experience for you, that means mm-hmm. we're not staying with your experience. I'm pulling that experience, interpreting it, and then man- influence. We could call it manipulation or influence, but let's stick with just inf- I'm influencing your interpretation of events, which therefore means it's no longer your interpretation. It's now my interpretation, right? There's, there's that's that's how I feel about it. And now, as, as I went along in that program, I started to get. There are schools that take into account more the fact that there are two subjective, you know, w- mm. many of those therapies do hold that the therapist somehow is holding a more objective view of reality and the client is holding more of a subjective view of reality. Mm. And it'll, of course, help the client if some of my objective <clears throat> view of reality gets transmitted to them, right? Yeah. That's, many therapies do hold that. Then I started getting into like the intersubjective world where they have an idea, they, they've got very clear that, well, no, there are two subjectivities and let's co-create the reality together. That sounded a lot better to me. Yeah. And I love that. I found that really fascinating. Um, but it, you know, but it was all very long and slow. And there was a mantra at my school that said, well, you know, all therapies are about the same in effectiveness. Techniques are all about the same. The only thing that makes a difference is the longer the therapy, 
the more effective the therapy. That was a mantra that I had heard professor after professor repeat year after year. And you know what that was? It means however inefficient we are, it can last a long time and we can always blame it on the patient. <laughs> it can last long time. Well, and, and, it, and there's truth to it. I mean, if, if you work with somebody for a long time, there's no question that you'll have more results over the years. Really? Right? Of course. But it just felt frustrating to me. And then uh, right around that time, so my wife is also a therapist. She was in training at that time. And she was in a completely different program. And uh, uh -huh. she was she was taking the class. Our mentor, Bruce Ecker, was teaching a class back then at her school, a brief therapy class mm -hmm. that basically was what's now called coherence therapy. It had a different name back then. It was called depth-oriented brief therapy back then. But he changed the name. And... Um, and I, she just got me fascinated. I once I started reading her book oh, wow. about that, I was like, "This is the thing I've been looking for that I haven't been finding in my program." Oh, yeah. that's beautiful. I think yep. when I saw when I saw the, and I'll use the proper terms, the yep. system deprivation exercise, Sym symptom deprivation, symptom deprivation. Yes. Um, what I thought was what I really enjoyed in it, and obviously, as, as you could hear, I identified with in my own work is that I'm always, you know, you and I are different. And there's a big difference is you have a doctor in front of your name and I have just he could be anything at any given moment. Uh -huh, so uh -huh. so you you in some ways I'm just winging it and like and I'll come in and say, OK, what's the mommy daddy issue? Like, fuck, like we got to get to it quick because uh -huh. I've only got an hour with you. And uh -huh, so in some uh -huh. ways, I think um, I'm um, half a comic, you know, half doing a stand up routine mm -hmm, and then. Mm -hmm lovingly allowing them to find space in themselves to, cause I'm not going to push a person, but I'll create a lot sure. of space. Yeah. Andy, yeah. I love the way you talk about it, but what you do is you hold space. I know, but the way I hold space is through play. Yeah. And, uh, and in general, <laughs> what I've seen is, a in, as soon as someone has more of a therapist background, there's in general, and I don't know if we can ask, but I've found that people need to have more protocols in place, which formalizes a bit more. Maybe it's uh -huh. true or not true. I don't know. But that's, uh, that's the, that's the thing that I'm, I'm, when I say you hold space though, um, how I've experienced you, nothing of you needs the other person to go or be anything. Of course. But, uh, that's true. Uh, but that was the, I guess the idea, what I was getting to was that when he in this thing, we have a symptom, which you say is the inability to sleep. It's the trouble uh, uh, introducing yourself to people you don't know, difficulty speaking I, public in I group. Have panic attacks when I speak yeah. in group, right? So all of that. So, yep. um, so I guess what I, what I really loved is that how one engages that individual to support them to look what's behind it is its own journey because it's a talent, right? An individual, each, each, in, each trainer, coach, mentor, whatever will have their different tools or ability to do that for another yep. person. Yep. And uh, what I liked about the formalization of that is really trying to create a method in which we say, we're going to allow you to have the symptom. We're not going to poo-poo it. We're not going to say you don't have it. We're not going to counteract it is what we say in yes. coherence therapy, right? You're not going to counteract it. And now mm -hmm. we're going to, in time and at a pace, allow us to look one step like, what is the thing that you're really reacting to? Or what's the first memory? I guess a question I might mm -hmm. hear in coherence there is, what's the first memory you have of that in your life? Something in that direction, I could imagine. Uh, actually, we're, we're more likely, more likely than going back to the past. I'm more likely to ask, give me an example of a, the most recent moment that you can, that you're aware mm. that this symptom came up. Okay. So that's the sort of the visible tip of the iceberg is, you know, where I want to start. And often it'll be something very mundane. And then as I have them explore that mindfully, close their eyes or whatever I have them do, say something, maybe I have them get out of their chair and move in a certain way. Um, maybe I have them picture a certain group of people right and interact mm. with them imaginally then we start to it starts to surface the deeper levels of uh what we call implicit knowings or implicit meanings yeah that are usually much more global not just about this particular incident with my boss or with my girlfriend or whatever but about you know people are this way the world is this mm. way or or i am this way wow right. i love the word implicit meanings 
Because mm-hmm. it or does implicit, it, implicit knowings, I think, is an even yeah, better yeah. Word. Or either way, mm-hmm. implicit yep. because in a, in a way, I think the you know, and it doesn't confuse itself with wisdom or insight. It's just implicit. No, no. it's just something that now makes more sense than it did before. And there's something beautiful about phrasing it that way. Right. So there are knowings that we just collect, right? I learned 40 words of my Spanish vocabulary, or I learned, you know, 500 Latin words for parts of the human body. Those are very cognitive knowings, Mm. prefrontal cortex kind of cognitive knowings. And then there's implicit knowings, which are just the schemas that help us organize our sense of reality. Yeah. The world is safe. Men are dangerous. Yeah. I am. My instincts are wrong. Right. I, I'm defective. Yeah. Right. These, these are very, they're, they're organizing principles, but they're, and they're so, they're so fish in water to us that we don't often even know what our organizing principles are. Yeah. And, and in coherence therapy, oftentimes people will say, Oh, well, that is how I, but I didn't really ever know that's how I've organized the world. Yeah. But that is, that is what feels true to me. So they're not usually discovering something brand new they're getting in touch with something that they've always known but now they know they've been knowing it yeah that's beautiful yeah and i'd like you were explaining in the writing that i said it was more clinical was mm-hmm. in in some ways that you're talking and i understood this the neural pathways that had associations connected to them and through mm-hmm. these interventions or interruptions you're actually redefining the neural pathway so the reaction isn't the same the trigger to the reaction isn't the same as it was before so the concept of memory reconsolidation which bruce secker writes a lot about uh and and is becoming very very sort of an important sort of central concept in the psychotherapy world right now is that once you get somebody to fully like inhabit or fully uh, identify with and, and be almost plunged into this, a particular world of meaning that they have, like, you know, I can't trust any men ever, right? Because maybe they had some bad interactions with male figures growing up. And so mm-hmm. they formed this schema that men are inherently unsafe, right? Yeah. Or can't be trusted. And you, you get them totally deeply into that, right? And, and then a sense, of course, that might even lead to a deeper sense of, and therefore I am not safe anywhere, right? And mm. I can't count on anyone. You get them deeply, deeply into that. And it, these meanings at, at that unconscious level feel very global and all encompassing. Mm. And then while they're in it, if you can draw their attention to some bit of data that doesn't fit this supposedly global schema, that has them in that moment, they have a very surprising there's a very surprising moment for them. It can be an epiphany moment that, wait, I'm, I'm, my world, my, this part of me says that no men are trustable, but this man is deeply trustable, right, mm-hmm. as an mm-hmm. example, right? It can really, in that moment, sort of shatter the, the global meaning, and yeah. it opens up a window. Different researchers talk about this window being two hours, four hours, six hours, mm. where the, the neural networks that were holding that whole world of meaning together become a little looser or opened Mm. up. And during that time, there's the possibility that if they're supplanted with a new meaning, a new knowing that they can rewire in a completely new way. And people often say, once they've had that kind of transformation experience, they'll say, yeah, this one thing always felt completely true for me, but now I'm noticing as I move through the world, it doesn't feel true anymore. And there's I'm two, therefore I'm freer as a result. Two things I'd love to to discuss is that as you speak, I mean I'm not a I have I'm not a practitioner of Byron Katie, but I, I always see her four questions, and the one of those questions is, can you be a hundred percent sure that this is true? Or, or it's one of those yes. sort of. And yes. I and and as I hear that in my head, I'm thinking, oh, that's kind of the coherence version of there's good men out there as well. <laughs> so she is she is calling on the person she's working with to pull up their own disconfirming yeah. information in their own mind. And she is, as she, she's a very powerful force. <laughs> she's a powerful figure, right? And yeah. so she has her asking that question just activates that. And yeah, the mind I, I person she's working with. Well, yeah. And nice. I also see, it was very funny because, um, so I, as I mentioned that, you know, my dad was uh, quite abusive when, um, when I was being raised. So he, uh, we, you know, we didn't talk for 10 years. It was kind of that sort of thrown out and we're not at your dead, that kind of thing. And 
what happened was I remember, and I was thinking about it in the context of what you just said, is that at some point I'm sitting there with my mentor at that time. And then he says to me, why did your dad throw you out? And, mm-hmm. uh, and, 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 uh, and I sat and, and I said, be, and then I had this, and I, I allowed it to sit. I didn't react like I would have, cause I hated my dad at that point. And I said, oh, because he loved me. And, and mm-hmm. then I cried. And, and mm-hmm. what, what, what hit me is that as you spoke, it was true for me from that moment forward, the neural pathway mm-hmm. of him throwing me out and he's a jerk, which I lived mm-hmm. with for 20 years, shifted mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. all of the thing him throwing out because he loved me and he was scared that I might go and do te- terrible things to myself. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting because then later on, um, and I even write a chapter in the book, when someone says, did you forgive your father? Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm like, forgiving my father would imply that I was still living the first neural pathway. First neural pathway. Yeah. 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 So yeah. I was like, yeah. I was like, I was like, I can't explain it to you, but I never, mm-hmm. I actually didn't forgive my father. I actually forgave myself mm-hmm. the second neural pathway for not mm-hmm. being able to see my father. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So for forgiving became not really the issue anymore. Yeah. That became moot. Right. Yeah, but it's hard for people when they live in the land of, well, I'm being persecuted by an individual, so mm-hmm. I've got to make peace with it. And they're living in this paradigm of, of I need to make peace with them, which is w- basically what you would suggest is trying to deal with a symptom still. Yes, right, right. right. Yeah. Right. And there, there may be some people for whom the solution or the resolution is going to come in the form it came for you. And there's other people where their father really did do some, was it just a terrible bad guy and did horrible, horrible things, right? They're not going to have a realization that's different. But, but then we're working on, inevitably, there's all the meanings and the knowings about the self. Yeah. That, right, the, this, it, the adult them just knows dad was a bad guy. The kid them didn't know that so clearly, right? The kid them could only make sense of there must be something wrong with me, right? There must be something. So oftentimes we're working there. But, you know, the resolution of these things is different for different yeah, different clients. Well, is there – oh, sorry. Go ahead. Niall, do you ever implement this work with couples? Oh, absolutely. It's fun with couples. It's fun with couples because what's amazing about couples is – so. What's amazing about couples is, you know, I'm in my office right now. I haven't been able to see clients in person for a better part of a year for COVID reasons. But when I've got a couple sitting right here on this love seat next to me, and they're both looking at me, they're looking forward, right? Looking at me instead of looking at each other. You can have a one member of the couple saying all, you know, the husband can be saying all kinds of things about the wife, Right. And she does this, and she doesn't care about me this way, and I mean, right? And and all these meanings, and and then I'll start to work with him and get a sense of right, like what's what is it that's really coming up here, and what's the where what's the context? Where has this come up before for him in his mm-hmm. life? I'm not asking him that question, but as we do yeah. some experiential work, it's just arising, right? And then he becomes aware, like she's just like my dad, right? Who was critical all the time, right? And then I say, okay, get it. So then I have them do this very simple thing. I have them turn towards each other and look at each other. And I have them not in a triggered way, but in a just very matter of fact way, tell her what you and my dad do the exact same thing, right? You both criticize me all the time. Now, when he's looking at her in the eyes and saying this very same thing, all of a sudden the ability to project just, right? And he'll look and he'll say, well, as I'm saying it now, it's not feeling true, right? I'm seeing she's yeah. looking at him all lovingly and compassionately and, right? And he'll say, well, uh, you know, and I'll, and I'll actually often say, I want you to say the words anyway, even if they're not feeling true right now. Keep saying the words. They were feeling very true to you when you were looking at me 45 seconds ago. So yeah. let's now, I want you, and, and that in and of itself can give you that mismatch. Yeah uh experience right a very he's, he's, he's like i'm saying the words and they're not feeling true and then he's having mm. a completely different experience of wow. her and also it starts to shatter his global sense that you know, people who are close to me are critical everyone's just like dad yeah yeah right? I, I like so this it's, term. it's fun and with couples because you can do it all in real time i like this term that you're using global sense yeah mm-hmm. it's a new mm-hmm. uh, way of explaining what's happening to mm-hmm. Yeah. So for a while now, maybe 
couple of decades, there's been this concept of a schema and different therapies talk about a schema slightly differently, but it, they're all variations on this, basically. Schemas are these, you know, the world is so complex. Our minds are unbelievable processors of information, but even these incredible minds that we have have to simplify things at, at basic levels yeah. so that we don't have to figure out how to drive the car anew each time, right? We just mm. get these implicit body memories and muscle memories and and also these organizing principle kind of knowings that yeah. just make it more efficient. Otherwise, we, it's the only way to efficiently navigate the world. And these schemas really drive huge, huge amounts of our behavior and our experience. Mm. Uh, one more question. Do you have a hashtag? A hashtag? <laughs> <laughs> well, well andy andy uses no. and it's fucking great and it and it's i can already great. tell you one talk i have to have with niles nile after this talk yeah. is how he's promoting himself uh, like far too many words oh. i'm getting confused whenever i read anything that he produces <laughs> when you can, read the stuff uh, yeah 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 i mean you got incredible content and then i'm looking at it like yeah. Oh my God, I really got to concentrate to get this, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. all this value. And then it's like very do, yeah. hard. Do you identify yeah. more with emotion or intellect as as a person? Uh or are you able ago, to navigate both? 20 years ago, I would have I would have absolutely identified more with intellect. Mm. Nowadays I I identify with both. Uh, I I don't feel that one is better than the other. I I do feel that when you can integrate both and yeah. and hold both, you're gonna see more and pick up more. And um, but you'll notice as I'm talking nowadays, I'll often close my eyes and hmm. I'm dropping down into the body and letting yeah. things arise from my body, letting knowledge or wisdom or whatever arise from my body. As if I wouldn't have done that in the past, I would have. Mm. Probably have been looking up here and thinking. Mm. Thank you. Mm. How was your first trip on LSD? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know what makes me ask because when I'm What's reading that? here, it mm-hmm. says, it, and, and it was very couched. You didn't write it openly. You can change the neural pathway through working and doing therapies or you can use drugs to do the same but you didn't go into that part of it it just was couched in the little sentence so i laughed <laughs> so did you Funny. take did it I write that about yeah, drugs? It's, it's written here i, I can I, i'll I, I don't know if i underlined it twice but i'll uh it, it's it's about experiential therapies and how mm-hmm. they work but there's also the therapies which are experiences but there's also drugs with, a, as an experience so so i'll tell you it's funny i, I did a, a different podcast interview a couple of weeks ago and somebody asked me this question about because there's a huge movement right now in the therapy world uh significant movement to use a variety of psychotropics yeah i know um <clears throat> right to open up these and and people are trying to bring these two concepts together how do we use the psychotropics to actually facilitate the memory reconsolidation experience and and, and and what by the way just taking that one step further mm-hmm. i'm being i'm being reached out to people to ask if i can support them because it's being legalized yeah. and yes. the, and the therapists need to standardize it. So I've actually yeah. I'm starting to get pulled into how do we standardize the the integration of that experience? Yes, right. And you just put your fingers on the key word there. I, I think the integration of the experience is the key piece. I, I think psycho, psychotropics have um, an amazing ability to uh, unlock the familiar neuronal pathways which is what opens us up to altered experiences and new experiences and then and then the the mind doesn't just want to go crazy so it starts to reorganize and rewire and run things in new ways which gives us new experiences and something people crave people in the western world really crave yeah um can can you help me understand are we talking about ayahuasca and dmt acid any of those i mean anything it could be the more natural ones right yeah and toad and the various things people are using, or it could be artificial things like yeah. MDMA and yeah, LSD yeah. and et cetera. Right? Um, 
it becomes tricky. It becomes tricky to how do we then, you know, a key piece of a coherence therapy is that we're doing this discovery work to find out what are the implicit meanings and knowings and schemas. Yeah. Then we do what's called integration work, which is bring, you want to reconnect. The person can have huge epiphanies in a session. This yeah. has been happening in therapies for years. People have huge epiphanies and then they walk out the door and back into the slipstream of normal daily consciousness. And then they like, just forget all about it. Right. And a week later yeah. they come back. What did we talk about last week? Right, the therapist is all excited to follow up on the breakthrough, and they're like, "Yeah, what happened last session?" Yeah. Right, that's a I've classic seen, thing. I've seen so many new trainers go into the world believing that their uh, superpower is to break people. Like, I'm mm -hmm. going to break them, and if they mm -hmm. have a emotional experience, that's what they need to have, without considering that the integration part of it is what allows them to to do the sense making to actually around. grow. Yeah, to make, do the sense making mm -hmm. and to yeah. actually grow exactly. So in coherence therapy, we will actually, we have a very standardized procedure for that, mm -hmm. which is at the end of a session, whatever the emotional truth is that's arisen, we call mm -hmm. them emotional truths, whatever it is, the most important emotional truth that's arisen in the session, I write it down and I nice. print it out and I put it on an index card and I hand it to the person or if I'm working with someone remotely, I email it to them and I have them read it every day. I want them to stay in touch with and the emotional truth will be one of these global meanings, right? I can't yeah. trust anybody to support me. Nobody ever has and nobody ever will, right? And notice at what moments it feels true or doesn't feel true for them, yeah. right? Or if they have a social you know, phobia of speaking in public, you know, I want them to be reading and before they get up and talk in front of their group at work, I want them to be aware of the that this this thing that they've discovered, like, oh, you you know what dad knows about me, which is right, that I'm whatever, pathetic and right, yeah, impulsive. Yeah. And you're gonna see, I but I've been masking, I've been hiding it, but you're gonna see it now. You're gonna have a window into my soul and see it. That's the thing that's been making them anxious, but they didn't know. Right. Yeah. So I want them to and as as they integrate that, that's where a lot of shift and change happens. They'll say, Oh, at first I was reading that card and it felt true, but then after a couple of times I realized that's not true. Yeah. Right. That's that can be one of these spontaneous mismatch moments. Mm. So to get back to your question about drugs and substances, mm. you know, the the, tr the tricky thing on, on with substances is that you can blow people open, they can have huge epiphanies, but can you then integrate it into yeah. their daily experience? That's the tricky part that I think people are gonna have to work out. Yeah. And I think and, and my concern in that has always been that people who are having those experiences have a hard time bringing it back down to earth. And they kind of yeah. it's almost like they take it further out. And then I'm like, well, in a way, you you're not necessarily serving the person if if by taking it, they lose themselves and they don't even know how to, how, how to integrate back into the world. You know, correct. They yeah. would argue some of them that that's a good thing. Right. Because they're saying now they've but that's a that's another that's another show. <laughs> but if but if you know, the problem is most of us aren't going to leave the world and go off and live in a cave and meditate. Yeah. Now, most of us are going to come back to our relationships and our job and our parents and whoever. Right. Yeah. And, have to, and if and if it doesn't make if it doesn't shift or change anything in your daily experience and your daily behaviors mm -hmm. and. Well, wow. that, that's really key. Yeah, that's like, key. Like I remember how many years ago, five or six years ago when ayahuasca started becoming a hype. Mm -hmm. And I call it a hype because in my social circles, I would see, I would actually experience people going, having this amazing experience. I, I saw God. Right. And, and being on a high the whole week. And then the end of the week, I'm going to go do it again. And, it, it will be like a repeat sure. kind of thing. Yeah. And and hearing you speak now, I realize, wow, they needed, they needed integration. Yeah. And they need integration. Right. Right. Because in my mind, how, how do you integrate an experience? How do you integrate? I, I saw God, for example, or what I perceive to be God. Yeah. How do you integrate right. that? Yeah. And, you know, for many, many people, it's not going to be that, it's such a big opening that it, yeah. it, it, it can take a long, you know, yeah, I did exactly. most of that stuff in my twenties and then I've spent the last 30 years integrating yeah. that. And, but yeah. that's meant doing the work. That's meant really finding a spiritual practice. That's meant finding, you know, meditating and examining my, my stuff and my, yeah. 
right? It's it's meant, but it but it it opened up at a certain point in my life. It certainly opened me up to, oh, well, there's way more here than meets mm. the eye, right? But then, you know, I wasn't transformed completely just by having seen the top of the mountain. Then you start the long, yeah. By the way, uh, I wanted to uh, share, you know, I talked a little bit about the practice in the wounded healer and, uh, you know, I kind of took 20 archetypes of people that I was interacting with. It was it's it's based on the real interactions with people. And the idea was take the thing that you resist most, you allow yourself to state it and you follow it with and it's fucking great. Uh huh. So basically you say, and, and you have to find a powerful statement. It has to be an, a statement with impact. Mm-hmm. I'm scared to talk in front of groups and it's fucking great. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and then you feel deeper. I was never good enough for my parents and I'm scared that if I'm in front of a group, it's like being in front of them and it's fucking great. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's almost like a deep, it's like a deepening, deepening, because it, it's almost like once you accept the one, you can deepen to the next and deepen to the next to you kind of really mm-hmm. feel into that baseline. I'm just scared. And it's fucking so. Great. So and it's fucking great in part plays a, an acceptance role, right? Instead of resi- resisting the fact that this is what happens and trying to push it away. I'm fully accepting that I am scared to speak in front of people and just letting it be here and then seeing what arises. Yeah. It's also Next. saying you, it's also in, in, in a way there's no healing. There's nothing you need to give me. I'm right. not a victim. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and in a way what I've seen for myself is there's a self love that comes out of it that isn't rational because it mm-hmm. may sound rational, but it's not rational at all. It's like a mm-hmm. felt sense of it just mm-hmm. being there without any attachment of meaning. It's just, uh-huh. oh, that's yeah. there. And it's yeah. okay. And it's fucking great. Yeah. And 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 uh and I see it it doesn't work as well when you're not uh, uh interacting with an individual. It's a bit harder. You know, the fact that in the book it's done so often means that people are reading it and they're doing it subconsciously to themselves uh-huh. because they're uh-huh. reading other people's uh-huh. stories, not uh-huh. knowing right. that they're learning the practice, not by themselves. being taught it but through the experiences of it. So yeah. um, in a way, when I saw, like I mentioned mm-hmm. your work or not your work, mm-hmm. um, but the work that you did on the YouTube taking from Ecker stuff, yeah. um, what I really loved in it was that I could kind of say, oh, wow, this is what it feels like it's re- creating in the, uh, in like the, yes. the neural pathways. Um, although of course you have more nuances. But- well, the nice thing about coherence therapy in particular is that there's there aren't only a few exercises you can do. Any anything that's an experiential exercise, anything that is not counteracting, which and it's fucking great, is not counteracting. It's mm-hmm. fully just taking in and accepting. That's experiential, so it's not just I'm cognitively thinking about you know well why do you think you have anxiety right i'm just i'm just starting to use different cortices of the brain you're speaking there's a verbal cortex thing that's happening right yeah anything that's experiential and that's not counteracting and that's looking for that's oriented towards trying to uh basically bring up bring about more of a sense of mindfulness so that something can arise from within the client so, mm. right, they're not thinking, oh, I wonder what's disconnected to. That just arises, like, oh, I just yeah. had an image of growing up, or oh, I just had a memory. These things, anything that's experiential in that way can be incorporated. Yeah, that's beautiful. <clears throat> I think an interesting, and in going to the practice, it works better when an individual, it, it actually probably only works, let's put it that way, when the individual treats it as the experience and not as a cognitive exercise. Correct. And yeah. it's very hard for some individuals not to treat it as a cognitive exercise. With some people, it's harder, right? Some yeah. people are yeah. much more head-based and cognitively yeah. oriented. And you have to, that's where the skills come in, right? The, yeah, exactly. The art, the art of the art of it, bringing of somebody along who doesn't naturally. Other people just drop right down. Stuff comes yeah. up, yeah. right? But that's not the way. Yeah. And you know this this website that I created, this experientialpsychotherapies.com website. It, it there's about a dozen therapies on there, each of which has its own version of. It's its own core. Like you've got, and it's fucking but, great. But let, right? let me let me go there for a second. Mm-hmm. Let's yeah. like put an umbrella so you go in you're doing your general work and then i see you put a hell of a lot of time and effort into the experiential psychotherapies.com now and i also saw that you had 
even your the the videos with the animated cartoon type videos and everything. Yeah. So really yeah. making it accessible. So what 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 compels made it, you? What compelled you to say I'm going to put this under one umbrella? Well, so that's yeah. In fact, I didn't mean to, but the thing I said just before that was the segue. Because coherence therapy is more of a, um, I don't know, I don't want to use the word umbrella exactly, but it's a meta theory for how therapy works. It doesn't uh-huh. only rely on these couple of techniques. There are a number of techniques that we use a lot in coherence therapy. But then this guy, if you want to do gestalt two chair work in there, you can do that. If you want to do imaginal interaction, you can do that, right? If There are all kinds of different techniques you can bring in. That, that's when I started looking at these other forms of therapy and realizing, oh, you know, somatic experiencing works with the body in a yeah. different way than anything I've been introduced to before. Internal family systems has really good language for helping people and, and, and perspective for helping people understand the different parts of themselves that are getting activated. Mm. Right. Yeah. And and when we use some of these different metaphors and we use some of these different just ways of accessing the same material, the work all just gets that much richer. So I personally incorporate aspects of many of these forms of therapy into my coherence therapy yeah. framework, which will still be my that's just, you know, we we all orient around something. That's just how Obviously. I fundamentally well, I mean, orient. But bringing in bits and pieces of these other things yeah. just have added immeasurably to my work. And that's what made me want to help other practitioners do the same thing. And, and you know, I la- is that your journey is no different than my journey. So in a way that like all I've seen is, okay, so the toolkit, you know, you're going to hit the limit of any single tool with a, an mm-hmm. individual that has a different, a different way of processing and, and needing Correct. to deal with a healing. So what I, what I've learned in the humility, which I love is that as a, the practitioner who thinks they've got all the answers, that's just the most dangerous person to be with mm-hmm. um, is that, we and on this show we'll bring on a lot of different practitioners that have a lot of different skill sets of, as well but what i what i've begun to see is that things like i i always said there was like a, a head awakening that happened in for me a little bit earlier mm-hmm. and then there was a heart awakening that processed a little bit after that another two mm-hmm. or three like wow that's where i feel it and then i'm like oh fuck my body is is holding on to stuff that I can't yeah. even begin to, and then and then yeah. I was like, wow, there's a whole nother somatic area yeah. where I didn't, and, and and I think when people limit themselves to any pocket and say I'm only one or the other, then they don't get to have the richness of that experience of of in themselves, and then actually able to offer it to others. Absolutely, absolutely, and you'll find oh. that there are certain clients then that you just can't your your magic doesn't work on those clients. Yeah, and you'll also find. Although it'll be harder for you to see that, you know, you can only take even the clients for whom it does work, there may be missing pieces that could be even more powerful yeah. and even better. And and that's what, you know, you talked about how much fun I seem to be having talking about that, you know, ex- working experientially is really fun. It's really playful. Yeah. Clients laugh all the time of, yeah, I want you to stand up and do this thing. And they're sometimes it's a nervous laugh. And sometimes it's just, the laugh of, oh my gosh, I finally get to move in a way that my whole body has been telling me not to move. Yeah. Right. All my, my musculature has been keeping me tense in a certain way for the last whatever number of years. And, and, and it's so, every session is completely different that way. You don't feel like I'm running people through the same couple of exercises over and over. You're constantly pulling from a whole variety of different very playful, very imaginative tools. On this end, we we uh, Bumbos has, has spent like uh, I don't know, maybe was it a year that you were running <clears throat> weekly open sessions for people to come together and have sessions. Yeah. What, what were they called? Um, connection games. So he he basically did experiments. We, we'd actually talk about them maybe a half an hour before people showed up, and then. Yeah, I don't know if you know Jeff Lieberman, but Jeff Lieberman is in the San Fernando, yeah. San Francisco area. I think you're. Where mm-hmm. are you now? I'm in Berkeley in the San yeah, Francisco Berkeley, area. Yeah. So yeah. I, he, he'd be in the same area. And uh, and basically, he was just pulling groups of people together and playing random games. Yeah. Some of the games were so edgy that I would watch them and just cringe, you know, just like, uh-huh. oh, it's just sure. it's hard to watch this, you know. Sure. Um, sure. Um, like, say the truth to the person. And, 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 and everything you like, it's so hard for you to say, like, I remember uh-huh. two women, women together. And the woman says, 
I think I'm better looking than you. And then uh-huh. just, just like the most painful yeah. things to see. The area will take all these things to the. Yes. That's what we've always done. That's what we're Ex- always known for. Yeah. Or, or why I wouldn't, wouldn't date myself. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. That's sort of, but so, and, and just, and the reason why I, I bring that forward now is because in some way, the experiences, right. Themselves will teach you so much about yourself Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. as long as the space is safe yeah. and if things get out of control, there's someone who can integrate it in a way that helps everybody kind of come back into their bodies again, right. then right. it's sort of, it's responsible, right? Yeah. Otherwise it, yeah. it could be irresponsible because you don't know. We did one experiment where we, Bombos, we said, let's do the experiment with no, where we had people yell no in each other's faces mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and. I wasn't there for the with a nice distance. I wasn't in I wasn't in the room, but I just got the consequences. And obviously the women who had sexual assault and really bad totally ignorant, not taking into that into account. They had they felt violated and it's sure, painful sure. and then that was sort of like oh that's where the experience when you're un when you're when you're not taking into account the consequences can go bad sure yeah. which is hard to do in a group to to be in to be cognizant of the effect that it's having on all the 20 something people in the room yeah but it's the advantage of doing it on the one-on-one or maybe if i'm working with a couple one-on-two is that i you can go much more slowly you can you know, when you're just keeping an eye on one or two people and you're just looking at them the whole time, you can really mm-hmm. notice that, oh, yeah. his lips pursed right yeah. there, right? Or, oh, I saw a slight tightening of the eyes there. Yeah. Intense, a tiny, these m- m- minute movements that can indicate yeah. that something powerful just got activated. And it's a different skill to do it in a group that's harder to yeah. monitor everybody. Right? Yeah, I've never big, been a big fan of doing groups for that very reason. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, 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 yeah. lo- I love it. And Bambos loves it because he can yeah. go in and then only afterwards realize, oh, shit, that went really bad. <laughs> I, I want to- <laughs> Let's slow that down. Because, hey, what? Because I don't, to, I don't want to leave it like that because it, it gives the impression that I created something that's left everyone. Traumatic. No. No, I'm saying this. I, I was speaking more for my. I like that you've touched it. I'm speaking more for myself. Yeah, I am so anxious because I feel so responsible for what's going mm-hmm. on in that group that if it leaves that session, then I feel like I got to call up that person. I got to make sure mm-hmm. they get grounded, that they can integrate. Like I really take a lot of load when I take on a group. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. and, and it's not good for me because it's not my load, but I feel like, Hey, if I'm the one that created the container and that's the repercussion of this container, then I'm fully taking and, and I'm like, I just, I just don't need that. You know, yeah. I can deal yeah. with the one or two. And so other people, which I speak to you are more comfortable taking different that on. Personality type is able to handle that. No problem. Right? Yeah. It's a different. So does that connect, connect more? Yeah, with, yeah. Okay, good. That's what I wanted to say regardless. So okay, good. taking yeah. full responsibility now. <laughs> like, like just hearing you speak about them though like i I do miss it and uh, and we were doing it online mm-hmm. and i was really surprised how much we can do online mm-hmm. but looking mm-hmm. at a screen for three hours mm. three days a week yeah it, it just made my eyes hurt <laughs> it's a lot <clears throat> it's a lot and and it's hard with a group online because you can't you can't have the experience quite in the same way of looking into each other's yeah. eyes yeah. which is often a big provocative part of those games right yeah, a lot definitely. of direct one-on-one but you know but something i want to go back if i may to experiential psychotherapies.com yes and there's a hyphen we, in the middle there. Gonna, oh, there's a hyphen in the middle yes sorry yeah. okay we made a mistake we didn't put the hyphen in the middle um the um the so c- keep in mind it's on the screen but there's a hyphen in there so my question to yeah. you is what is your vision for it so what is the vision you Where have? Where are we going? Yeah. Yeah. No, my vision for it is a number of things. So so first of all, I'm hoping it's going to have two significant effects. One is the vast majority of the psychotherapy world still does not work experientially. In okay. nowadays in 2021 there are, uh, many of these schools have gotten huge followings, uh, well known around the world and yet it still comprises a fairly small portion of the psychotherapy world. I'm amazed often at how many of my fellow psychotherapists just don't even think about it. They don't know about experiential wow. work. They're just stuck doing a lot of prefrontal cortex to prefrontal cortex, logical advice giving, talking, interpreting, et cetera. So I'm yeah. really, really hoping that it's going to 
put all these therapies even more on the map than they already are. Oh, that's and the whole concept of working experientially, put it more on the map. Mm. And then the other is people, once they get into one of these therapies, tend to get, not everybody, but many practitioners just get, once they get into one of these things, that becomes their own, their new religion. And yeah. they stop looking outside the boundaries of what's happening outside. They just get very loyal to their one form of therapy. And that's fine. And sometimes you need to do that for a while because you really want to master it yeah. and become an expert. But but if people just look just a little bit peripherally, they'll realize, oh, I can supplement what I'm doing here Beautiful. with all these other fantastic ideas. So that's where I, those are the two goals. Uh, where it's going to go, the sky's a little bit the limit. We'll see. We're, we're bringing in more and more people who are creating trainings and creating material video content, right? Yeah. The site is, as you've noticed, it's mostly set up with videos. Yeah. So people can just sort of watch things at home and learn. Um, but as but time really, goes on, I'd love to have I'd love to have there be panel discussions of therapists mm. who are all discussing, you know, what's the what are the similarities and differences? It's it's funny that you asked that question though, because when anyone asks you what are you doing with this, uh huh, your your answer is normally you're just letting it unfold. Of course, but that's me. Yeah. <laughs> So what's your point? Oh, it's funny that, that there would be an expectation that it had it would have to be something more than what he's doing. Uh, I would say there, that when anyone has a puts anything in the world in general, they do have an idea of where it's going. So when you ask for a vision, it can be very broad, or it can be tomorrow. I'm hoping to do a video. So I don't ask him where does he want to be five years from now. I'm asking where what's do you want to be five years. From now? <laughs> <laughs> but but getting to this. Oh, sorry. The way I, just, I, operate, oh, the way I operate tends to be to keep to hold things fairly loosely. I just had a sense of there's a lot of potential if we can bring erase some of these barriers and bring a lot of these people together. Hmm. And what that potential will be is is a work in progress, and we'll we'll sort I, of discover I it. I didn't. I see. Here's where it's interesting because when I told you, I went to the website, and mm -hmm. I was confused. And mm -hmm. there was a lot of now I realize why I was confused because I'm not your target audience. No, you are not my target audience. Correct. My target audience is other psychotherapists. That's what then that's what I was saying. Cause I right. said the lingo right. was so formalized. And now yeah. and, and, and and that I think that's often the ignorance of uh, of uh, the marketeer. Yeah. The marketeer makes the assumption that it should be appealing to them or they don't right. I hopefully, sorry, the opposite. The marketeer, their job is to make sure that they don't make the assumption that they are the ones that they're being marketed to. Right. So now I understand that you are marketing to the psychoanalyst or psychotherapist. Psychotherapist. There are a then, lot of there are a lot of websites out there where therapists are marketing themselves to the general public, yeah. and they're explaining very basic things like what is anxiety and what is depression and what should you expect from psychotherapy and that kind of thing. But this is not that. This is, I'm really gearing this. The people who are subscribed to my site are all going to be psychotherapists, maybe deeper levels of coaches, coaches who want to do a deeper level of work. Understood. Thank that you. That makes, a lot, that makes a lot more yeah. sense to me now, of course. Uh, so, for of, instance, one of, the, one of the projects, sorry, Bombo, so I'm, no, go for I it. <laughs> uh, one of the projects that I'm working on now is a, a, that's very exciting to me as part of the website is I'm doing a series of uh, psychotherapy sessions with a whole with with experts from each of the different schools. Okay. So I'm the client. I'm using my own real material. I'm using the same symptom for every session and and video and we're recording it and then breaking it down and explaining like the therapist is thinking this here and is thinking this here. So you can watch half a dozen therapists each interacting I, with me around the exact same material, same that. person and same. So you can really get a sense of, oh, the AEDP therapist yeah. approaches it this way, the IFS therapist, but only therapists are going to be interested in that. That's not going to be the general public. Oh, right. I love it. And you know what I'd love for yeah. you to do is take like the 20 different personality types and run uh -huh. them through each therapist, right? Like, because oh, wow. <laughs> then you kind of say when you have this typical, you know, this archetype, uh -huh. Then how uh -huh. does that archetype uh -huh. relate to this practice, right? That could be uh, multiple lifetimes worth of <laughs> videoing sessions. <laughs> we do have someone in somatic work in your area that's exceptional. We brought her on the show, oh. and we've had her here for training. So if you need someone in that area or would you like to compliment, we have someone for you. I messaged you yesterday saying, yeah. when, when are we going to have her again? Yeah. Um, Great. Just with, with all the work that you're doing, what have you learned about yourself recently out of everything that you've been doing? That, that would be my last question, actually. Uh-huh. Sure. 
Well, I don't know if, if I'm answering it exactly. The biggest thing that I've learned about myself throughout this entire process is um, it's funny that I'm here now. I'm on podcasts and I'm on YouTube and I've got this huge presence. That was not my personality for all my early years. And in fact, when I first even thought that when I got licensed in 2005, I had all this anxiety about that. In fact, long before I got licensed, my very first day of grad school, I remember my very first class, my first professor saying something like, well, once you get licensed, it's not like you just hang a shingle and people are going to start coming to you. You're going to have to market yourself. And I got really anxious. Uh, and I thought, you know, I, I'm fairly confident that I can learn how to do all the therapy and I can learn how to do everything. And but but the marketing part, the idea of putting myself out there, promoting myself I see, was I could tell by watching your video that was not where you were getting joy. <laughs> oh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. You weren't, interesting. you weren't like on the show like you are now. You're like, okay, uh -huh. I'm formally talking about things because this is what I'm supposed to be writing and saying as I'm talking. Uh -huh. so interesting. I was like, but you can feel that, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've just, I can, I could feel a significant shift mm. from where I am now compared to even that, the, the video you're referring to was seven years ago, right? Wow. So you can see the difference in seven years and just the, but, but having said that, how much have things changed, right? I'm not, it was, some people are like, I need to create my own form of therapy and this will be the Nile Gagan form of therapy and I'm promoting myself. That's not me. I'm, I'm sort of holding this different role. If I'm bringing together a dozen other, yeah. people's forms of therapy. So it's a way that I'm not, I don't feel like I'm actually promoting myself, but at the same yeah. time, I've become very comfortable in this role now, which would not, would not have always been the case. I would have felt like some, my, my schema would have said the world will not be open to me. The world will be like, who's yeah. this guy? Shut up, go be, get back in your place. You know, who are you talking? Yeah. That would it's have been beautiful. my sort of implicit knowing 20 yeah. years ago or 10, even 10 years ago, probably. Well, I mean, what it speaks to your humility to say, you know, there's things and people will benefit from it. Who am I to judge that I'm going to come up with the best? If I allow it to evolve, I'll discover mm -hmm. a lot more. And I think that's just mm -hmm. a beautiful way to live. So mm -hmm. thank you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's been great having you. Yeah. Really great having you. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you for bearing with our poor humor. And I have really gained a lot from your discovery of coherence therapy. So I will make sure that everyone knows that it came from you. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs>